Welcome to the Dear Nikki Mama podcast. I'm Ashley. And I'm Martha. And our mission is to connect the past and the present Nikki Mom by celebrating our stories and what our babies have overcome. Whether your NICU journey was 50 years ago or whether you find yourself in the NICU today, we hope that this podcast reminds you that you are not alone. Hi, mamas. Welcome back to the Dear NICU Mama podcast. It's your host, Martha Mink and <laughs> Ashley. Today I included the last name and I don't know why. <laughs> I was kind of like, oh, am I supposed to include my last name? I can. Yes. And your social security number is. No, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm discombobulated because my toddler is in the next room planning, I don't know, world domination or something as she falls asleep. So that's where we're at. Um, but how are you, Ashley? I, I miss you, even though we live in the same town. I know. I miss you too. And I'm sending you this cup of coffee via the, the webcam here. Thank you. I don't know. It's it's like that joke that the doctor, the neonatologist always say in the NICU when they, you, you, you know, your kid gets intravenous caffeine. They're like, the kids get caffeine, but where's ours? You know, <laughs> <laughs> like every, every neonatologist made that joke to me. Anyway, I digress. Oh, man. Well, this week on the podcast, you always know we get to either interview incredible NICU moms about their journey, or we get to have experts on to share about terms of wide ranging from maternal mental health to um, physical therapy, following C-sections to relationships, everything in between. And today we have the privilege and honor of having Parijat Deshpande on. Uh, she Ooh. is our Lord and Savior, our personal <laughs> Oprah. We've had her it's on true. before. Your episode last year um, about uh like trauma in the time of COVID was like by far one of our most listened to episodes of all time. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and it was so great. It was so poignant and what we all needed right at that time. Um, oh, I love that. And for those that don't know her, which is crazy, go Google her right now. <laughs> but she is a, a high-risk pregnancy specialist, a somatic uh, trauma healing specialist. She uh, has a best-selling book called Pregnancy Brain, which is fantastic. Um, I would definitely suggest it, even if you have already had your high-risk pregnancy um, and delivered your baby in the NICU, it's a great read and has so many great resources. So thank you for coming back. We are so glad that you're here. I'm so glad I'm here too. It's so lovely to chat with you both again. Uh, it feels like you're like our long last best friend that we haven't seen in like mm -hmm. years. So <laughs> I know it's like group hug. <laughs> I have to refrain myself from commenting on your Instagram lives. Like, oh my gosh, your hair looks so good today. Like, you know, like what hair mask are you using this week? You know. <laughs> Wow. And today's episode is really unique. It's a topic that we haven't shared about on the podcast before. And truthfully, until our event with you, Parija, back in November, it's a concept that I had never really paralleled together. And so today we're talking about exercise and trauma. And that's a whole wide, I mean, we could talk about that, I'm sure, for hours. But what we're kind of focusing on is you know, we're entering into swimsuit season. Everybody give a big sigh. <laughs> swimsuit season, marketers are constantly advertising the latest and greatest crop tops. And let's just face it, we're moms and we maybe don't want to be wearing those things for many reasons, but 
Not only that, but after we experience trauma and we want to take care and nurture our body, sometimes exercise doesn't feel like it used to. It doesn't give us those same happy endorphins that it used to. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit today. So Parija, can we start there? When you shared about kind of this concept of exercise and trauma back at the event, what is that correlation like and where do you start with that? Oh my goodness. Where do you start with that? (laughs) (laughs) That's a very loaded question. (laughs) So let's start here. uh, That kind of where you, you left off, Ashley, that sometimes, many times after we've experienced a trauma on the family building journey, exercise does not feel good. And it often shows up as what we consider procrastination. I'll run next week. Oh, my toe hurts. I won't do my weights. You know, like I, we find all kinds of things, right? Of, I think it might rain, maybe possibly. I'm just not going to go outside. Or we come up with any kinds of things and we tell ourselves, I'm lazy. Look at me making excuses. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. I'm so terrible. And you know, the avalanche of thoughts that follow that. And it's actually from that perspective that I, I dropped that little nugget in our in the talk that day um, at the at your event because those thoughts that you're telling yourself are all lies, every single one of them. And I don't mean that from kind of a metaphysical, emotional, necessarily perspective. I really mean that from a physiological perspective. Exercise doesn't always, many times, does not feel good after trauma. And there's a physiological reason why. And I really want, if there's nothing else the listeners take away from today, it's it's that, that it's not you. You're not being lazy. You're not making excuses. Um, it's, it's none of that. It, it is literally your body protecting you from experiencing something that doesn't feel safe. And we can dive into all those details there. But I really wanted to start there and just highlight that. Mm-hmm. Um, cause I think that's the piece that we miss so much. You, I mean, you said swimsuit season and all of us just went, <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, we just have that, that we know it's not good. And yet we know the pressure is going to be there when you mm-hmm. see it all over social media. And I think, you know, outside of even swimsuit season, we think of, uh, and I, I know I certainly had this thought too of, well, if I couldn't really carry my child full term and I couldn't breastfeed, the least I can do is get strong again after mm. having been on bed rest for so long, right? And we, I, I see this a lot with my clients as well, especially those who delivered preterm of well, the least I can do is exercise. And then when that doesn't feel good either, it just contributes to that narrative of I'm broken. Something's wrong with me. And, and we're all mm. here to really challenge that and go that none of that's true. None of that's true. Yeah. Mm. I think it's so interesting because I think, you know, women in general, we have been conditioned, right, with that messaging about how our body should be long before we even engage with pregnancy, right? Um, Let alone the journeys of our infertility, high-risk pregnancy, traumatic delivery, NICU stays, all of that. Um, And what it really is, it's like, it's just this deep, we're operating from a deep level of shame, right? Totally, totally. Everything you just said, I was like, I wrote that in my journal mm-hmm. a year ago, right? Yeah, so yeah. it's it's so um, true. It's yeah. but it's so pervasive. It's hard to even identify that those are 
that those are intrusive thoughts or those are um, those those thoughts are or those messages being sent from our body are not reality. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and I think too about the self-care movement, which is great. There's a lot of beauty in that. But a lot of those messages are, well, if you don't feel good in your body, just work out and it'll be better. Yes. But then when you do that as a form of self-care, really, if your intention even going into it is like, wow, I want to take care of my body and that also doesn't feel good, it leaves you wondering like, when will I ever feel good in my body again, which is such a hopeless, hopeless feeling. And so, you know, in your experience and in your practice – you know, why does that exercise trigger those trauma responses? Is it the the heart rate or, you know, where, where is that correlation lie? Totally. There are a couple of places that I see this come up. Um, so since you mentioned heart rate, we'll start with that one. So I see this frequently. Um, well, let's backtrack and let's talk a little bit about what, about the nervous system for a second. So we've got the central nervous system, which is the brain and the spinal cord. And then we've got the, the peripheral nervous system, which is the basically everything else, right? And inside of that, we have what's called the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. And typically what we hear of when we hear of that is the sympathetic is fight or flight and and the parasympathetic is rest and digest. Well, it's not actually that simple because we have uh, more branches underneath that. And one of them is... um, what we find is when you are in fight or flight, your whole body is amped up. We all know that feeling, right? We're anxious, we're overwhelmed, we're like fidgety, um, and and you can feel it in your body. Things are tight because your body is going into a mode to get you to mobilize, either to fight or to run, right? What we don't talk about enough is the parasympathetic side, which is that if you are in fight or flight for too long we actually kick over to the parasympathetic and and go into freeze, which is essentially, this is too much, we stop, right? And if you can imagine, we've talked about the bear example a lot, right? If, if you are in a situation where you are being chased by a bear, you're going to run, you're running, you're running. And at some point, you cannot sustain that level of running. Um, this is just as an example to illustrate. And so when you believe when your your whole physiology believes you cannot come out of uh, and get away from this threat, we go into freeze. And that is, um, we're still amped up. There's a lot of survival stress being dumped into our body, but it shows up as keeping us still and frozen and hiding, right? It takes a lot of energy to crouch and hide. It's not a relaxing situation, right? Mm. Why am I talking about all of this? Because Many times with my clients and the community that we all work in, I find that because we are in uh, experiencing trauma on the family building journey, which involves being in our bodies, it is not something we can run away from. We cannot get away from it, no matter what we do, our bodies. Because of that, we often go into what we call freeze. And to come out of freeze, we have to reactivate our body to be able to feel our body again. Mm -hmm. To do that, it feels like you're going to have a panic attack because you've been in this crouched, hidden, frozen position, metaphorically, but also physically in a lot of ways, to wake that back up 
feels a lot like anxiety or panic. And that's where the heart rate piece comes in is to have health, a healthy nervous system. We have essentially like one foot on the accelerator and one foot on the brake, right? And if we can kind of map that to the two, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic, but the part of the parasympathetic that is designed to help us actually slow down. And what happens is when we are stuck in this survival place, our body doesn't know how to use that brake well, smoothly. And so we go from either collapse where we're whole, our whole body is just kind of down or we're, we're amped up, but there's, there's just a lot and in, in stuck in there. And we sometimes slam on the brakes or we completely take our foot off the brake and there's not this gentle movement up with our heart rate. So pre-trauma, what happens when we exercise is you warm up and you, you get your body warmed up and you get things moving and your heart rate slowly increases. That is not what happens when we are in this state and then we try to exercise. A lot of people who are there don't have access to that break and um, and the and the swiftness and the delicateness of how to access that break. And so we can go from zero to 60. And that heart rate jump is terrifying because it feels like the last time something horrible happened. It's the mm-hmm. same body memory, right? So that's one side of it. And the second piece of it is in actually being able to move your body. If you imagine and you think back to the trauma that you experienced, there were probably one or multiple moments where you were not able to physically move. Maybe you were medicated, you were going through surgery, you uh, were recovering from bed rest, so you couldn't stand up or had no strength in your legs, any number of reasons, right? Um, Maybe some of them will put it out there too that their medical team wouldn't allow them to move as much as they wanted to, right? Which is very real. In that, I mean, that's really where the trauma gets stored is there's actual memory of our bodies being stuck and not able to complete that stress cycle. When we start exercising, whether it's yoga and it's something very gentle or it's something hardcore, uh, like a HIIT exercise routine or something like that, you're, you're forcing your body to move. But if you are frozen in that state of trauma, Again, you're going from zero to 60 and there's not that gentle movement and you're basically asking your body to move in a way that you haven't moved since before that moment. Mm. And your brain goes, this is dangerous. We don't do this because somebody could get hurt. No, right? I'm putting words to the physiology, but that's essentially what's happening. And in both of those cases, what happens is your brain's smart, right? Our brain, our bodies are very smart. They know look, number one, keep you alive and safe. That's it. And if that is threatened, I am going to prevent you from doing anything that's going to jeopardize that. And that's Mm -hmm. where those thoughts come up of, I don't want to, I don't feel like it or whatever that we justify to ourselves as excuses when they're Mm -hmm. actually extremely protective opportunities to stop us from doing something that our brain could identify as dangerous. Mm. Right. Wow. Oh, I feel like I should have been taking notes on that, but I couldn't yeah. find a pen right now if you asked me. I know. My um, brain was just like, oh, whoa. my gosh. <laughs> you know, um, I think it's so interesting. Well, we were going to ask, you know, kind of like about this extra layer of getting your body back 
after mm-hmm. um, after baby, right? It's a pretty insidious marketing ploy in a lot of ways, yeah. but it's like, it's impossible to ignore, especially because of social media algorithms. Like they know they being the Russians, I don't know, but they know <laughs> that you've just had a baby. So then you get ads about waist trainers and tea detox diets and all this stuff. And it's all playing to this idea that you got to be back. Your body needs to feel the way it did before you had a baby. It needs to look the way it did before you had a baby. It should be like you never had a baby, but you have to be the perfect mother and um, never complain about it either. Right? (laughs) Right. So how does that layer play onto it too? Because you are running into these, maybe these hurdles when you're attempting to, or you just have your body is protecting you. You know, it's it's still saying, nope, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to look at that yet. But at the same time, we're maybe having a lot of self-talk about, I should be doing this. You know, how does that layer on top of it? Yeah, it's. I think goes back to what you said earlier. It's the shame cycle. We see these messages, we hear them on social media, maybe from our friends, our family, our neighbors, community, any place like that, and and it's also internalized shame from years before from any number of sources, right? And shame it responds physiologically in our body the same as trauma. And so if you have trauma already and then you have shame either on top of or below it, it's essentially compounding physiologically what's happening, which is this is not safe. This is not safe. I am not safe. And your brain continues to keep you. It's almost like it fights it. It overrides and goes, see, we are not safe. There is danger. We're not doing this. And it like doubles down. And, Mm -hmm. And that is where we often hear... Um, I hear the words like resistance. I'm resisting this. I don't know why I can't get myself to do this. And it just feels even harder now. This is why. Because you're fighting physiology. You're fighting what your brain and your body knows what it needs to do to keep you safe by trying to override it with these thoughts that we have of, no, but I have to. No, but I need to lose weight. No, but I, you know, whatever those thoughts might be. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's so profound. I always know when it's a good episode because Ashley and I are always like, we have nothing to stop. What can we say next? (laughs) Honestly, I'm like, I don't even know how to follow that (laughs) because I just, you don't hear about this though. You don't. I mean, it feels like, yeah, like Martha said, the marketing that is immediately at your discretion of like, oh, you want to get back to who you were before. And we just launched a whole new collection of like, you're not who you were before. Be proud of that. And yet there's grief that comes with that because you miss that old you, you know, especially if you really enjoyed exercise or if exercise was something that you did to, you know, help with anxiety or ease stress. And now that feels like an enemy. Like it's just another adjustment that you're having to make of like this new journey that you're on of figuring out who you are after your trauma, you know? And that's just, and the shame part in that is just, I guess I've just never heard of this before. So I'm like speechless. (laughs) Yeah. The idea that our body reacts the same to trauma and shame. Yes. It makes a lot of sense. But yeah, you know, when you think about yeah, the things you experience. I'm, yeah. Yes. I I it makes me think too, um, about like the actual physical things that happen to our body, like that were done to us, right? Obviously our bodies were responding to the trauma, but um you know, going under anesthesia, emergency C-sections, like the scars, the healing from it. Some people had classical C-sections. Some people, um, you know, had to have cir- surclage placed, right? Or 
or even, you know, tears, stuff like that. Like the fact that there are physical, like, yeah, yeah, like external breastfeeding too. And like your boobs don't fit in a sports bra. (laughs) Right. Yep. That's so true. The actual, um, like external forces that happened at our body, you know, uh, those elements on top of it. Um, so even when we would try to exercise, maybe we get to a place where we're comfortable, but then it also just feels different for other reasons too, right? Like your scar is tugging or maybe it stings or maybe, um, you know, you don't have any pelvic floor strength anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So um, how, I mean, how does even that layer on top of it and how does that interact? Is it just an additional way of our bodies feel those experiences and then say, nope, yeah, there's. I think there's a couple layers to that. One is that our cells, our fascia, our muscles, the ligaments, everything around wherever we had some kind of intervention done remembers. And I realize that sounds really woo and like, what? But it's physiologically, there's an actual body memory, somatic memory that is created because of that. And so this is one of the reasons why, as a side note, that we don't have to remember mentally what happened. Our body is remembering because, you know, there are parts that there's physiological changes that happen from that and and it stores that memory. And then the second piece of it is uh, that when we go into survival mode, one of the things that changes is we lose access to feeling our bodies. That's mm-hmm. supposed to happen. And we, we may have talked about this previously, that if you imagine, again, the bear chase, you don't need to know when you're getting cut by a branch that you're running by as you're running. It doesn't matter because it doesn't impact your ability to get to safety at all. And so physiologically what happens is we lose our ability to feel our bodies um, and we lose access to the senses that don't need to be available to us when it's that thing is going on, what our, our experience is going on. When we have then, like you're saying, your scar is pay, uh, burning or you're feeling the tugging or you're feeling the pain from the episiotomy or you're feeling the anything that's changed, it's basically activating the body memory of remember what happened? Remember that? And yeah. it's it's almost like it's overriding um, the the protective mechanism of not feeling your body, right? And but because the pain is so much, we do feel it because it is important to feel. And your body's cluing you into something. Something hurts. Something's not right. You need to support your body in a different way. And if we are trying to be disconnected from our bodies this sensation can be very triggering because you're trying not to feel your abdomen, your pelvic floor, your vulva. Like it, you're, you're trying, and this is not a conscious trying. I mean, I'm using the word trying. But this is all happening outside of conscious right. awareness at the nervous system level. And so you put those two together and it's just like this constant flooding in your body of we're still not safe. We're still not safe over and over and over. And that does compound the healing process, certainly, both emotionally and physically. And when we then tie it back to exercise, your body's going, no, this Mm -hmm. is already bad enough. Mm -hmm. So we're not in a place to be able to support physiologically working out. Mm. And then it loops back to all the reasons why we don't and then all the reasons why we tell ourselves that that's not right. And this, I think it just goes back to what we were talking about at your event of 
it all starts with understanding why it makes sense. Mm. You, if we can understand the physiology, I find it's, it's nerdy as heck. And of course I love it, <laughs> but I think it's so important if you, you meaning global you can understand what's happening in your body and why it removes so much of that shame because it's not you you're not doing anything wrong and i think that helps to kind of break through that a little bit and find some open window through which you can figure out how to support your body and heal and you know we all agree exercise is important it is healthy and wonderful but what will that look like in a way that's supporting of your healing it's probably not going to be the same as it was pre trauma at the beginning it might eventually but probably not at the beginning right well and what i love about this too is it it's just this constant affirmation that your body is not against you mhm and that your body is on your side. Mm-hmm. And we kind of use that a lot in some of our verbiage that we use of like your body is not your enemy. Your body is on the same side. But when you look at it, even from like a scientific perspective, it's like, wow, everything that your body is triggering and everything that it is feeling is really just another layer of trying to protect you, which is really beautiful. Wow. And so I love the science of it because it's just this like, you know, beautiful affirmation that you and your body are on the same team, even if it doesn't feel like it right now. Yeah, exactly. Well, maybe let's, you know, you just kind of mentioned, maybe it doesn't look like it did prior with exercise. Maybe it doesn't start at CrossFit right after you have your baby. Maybe it gets mm-hmm. there. Maybe um, it never does. You know, that's totally. okay. Yes. yes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so for a mama who's listening, who you know, who longs to exercise, not only because it feels good, but because she does want to see some changes within her body and different things. Where do you start? How Mm -hmm. do you, you know, honor what your body is trying to do to protect you and at the same time start to exercise and and start to feel good in your body again? Yeah. I think um, the way that I approach it with several of my clients is we take out the word exercise and we replace it with movement how, what kind of movement feels good to make right now? Because that's essentially what exercise is. I'm not an exercise specialist, but that's how I understand exercise at least, is how can you move your body in a way to give your body the physical benefits of movement? And there's a million ways to do that. And it's so dependent on each of our own bodies and all of that. So I like to replace the word with movement first and go, what, well, what does it feel like? And sometimes the client will go, well, you know, my, well, and let me back up and say that usually then allows for you to look into your body and go, well, what part of my body feels good right now, which is, sounds really simple, but can be quite challenging to do at first. So I want to just put that out there that if you find that challenging, it's not just you, it, it is something to work to and, and develop that ability to do that um, because of what you've been through. But she, then she, you know, she's able to go into her body and say, oh, well, you know, my arms feel really good. Great. So how do your arms feel like moving right now? And mm-hmm. she comes up with anything, right? It can be an actual workout with weights uh, for her arms for with free weights, or it can be just kind of moving and dancing just with her arms. I mean, that it doesn't matter, right? The intention at the beginning is not to have any particular goal in mind in terms of weight loss or building muscle or trimming down in any way or any of those 
phrases that we hear. Mm -hmm. The intention is, can you learn to move your body again safely? Mm. Can you learn to move your body without it triggering you and sending your heart from zero to 60? Can you can you learn to move your body in a way that doesn't trigger the trapped memory of how you couldn't move back when you went through what you went through? Mm. What is the easiest, simplest, most fun way that feels most accessible to you right now to move? And that's where I start with my mm. clients. And what happens when we do that is, again, one, she's able to find parts of her body that feel good because we're so good at recognizing what doesn't feel good. Right. And there are always parts of our body, even if it's like your left pinky, right? It's something doesn't suck right now, right? <laughs> and it sounds ridiculous. I work with a lot of um, self-proclaimed type A people, and I say that with lots of love because I am one of them too. <laughs> and they're like, that's not enough. <laughs> you know, I know, but we've got to work up to it, right? Because yeah, we're yeah. retraining your focus from what doesn't feel good to what does feel good and what does feel good right now or what doesn't suck right now is your left pinky and that's where we are. And mm -hmm. so we're going to focus on that because we have to build the capacity to tolerate pleasurable sensation. Mm -hmm. And that is where we can then go into the motivation cycle and go, oh, right, movement does feel good. And so I want to do it again. And then I want to do it again. But we can't force ourselves into it. We can't go, well, running's supposed to feel good. So I'm going to do it. But if your knees are hurting or your hips feel awful or your pelvic floor is spasming, not only is it painful, but it's, it's perpetuating the cycle of my body doesn't feel good. I don't feel good in my body. I'm not safe in my body. Mm. Right. And so we got to go from that angle of what feels easiest and simplest and uh, what is the thing that feels best to you right now? Knowing that it will change. It will not stay at just your left pinky. It will change. But we've got to grow that capacity for you to tolerate pleasure again, um, which is very difficult to do after after trauma. And that's that's a lot of the work. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, spe you're speaking to two self-proclaimed um, Enneagram threes here. <gasps> Me too. Know. You're an Enneagram. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that makes a lot of sense because I feel like I have a theory about Enneagram threes that you go through trauma and then you create something like a business or you write totally. a book, right? <laughs> yep. Um, but we talk often about like, and, and there's probably an overlap here that people who maybe deal with just anxiety generally before trauma too, yep. but the black and white thinking, right? It's either zero or a hundred. Well, yeah. I'm not a triathlete, so I'm garbage. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's, yeah. Those are the only two narratives I have. So it is a really, it's a difficult, um, having tried going through this, right? And I am still, I feel like in my little baby steps of getting back into movement, but I, um, I, I feel the same way. I feel like I have to I'll constantly remind myself because the narrative is, is pervasive. Yes, it is. Yeah. It's everywhere. And we've heard it for so many years. Like yeah. you said, even before pregnancy, we have been yeah. hearing this over and over and over. So now you are undoing that messaging and undoing the physiology of trauma and switching both of those. That's really hard work. Yeah. And so when you are 
trying to get back to working out after a trauma, I hope you can hear that what you're doing is moving mountains. And so yeah. that's not going to happen with the yeah. snap of a finger. It will happen. But yeah. give yourself the time, the energy, the compassion, the grace to go, I'm doing really big work here. Mm-hmm. Really big work here. Yeah. That's so affirming and powerful. And when we were kind of dreaming of this episode with you and kind of working on the questions, one thing that came to me that I had to remind myself of, because I've been also on a baby steps journey of movement again and exercise again, and I'm two years out. So, I mean, this is like you said, it's really hard work. Yeah. Um, but one quote that came to me was, you can't out-exercise your trauma mm-hmm. because sometimes it feels like, well, maybe if I just got my body back, then it would go away. Or maybe if I just ran enough and I got enough endorphins, then it would go away. And I'm finding, and you know, you're reiterating it here so beautifully is that your body remembers Mm -hmm. as much as we wish we could just take a magic detox pill or do a 30 day cleanse or something like that. Like the memory is stored within us. And like you said, this is hard work. It takes time. And so really it takes courage to move your body again after the trauma that you've endured. It's just really affirming. And Martha, would you be willing to share, because you, prior to your babies, you were an avid runner. Yes. So would you be willing to share, because we've talked a little bit about how your exercise has had to shift and what that has looked like for you. Yeah. And let me precursor this by saying that I hope after I finish this anecdote, we're, we get, we get requested to be a a sponsorship for something. But I, um, so yeah, I, I used to run a lot, you know, and I, my parents are triathletes. My sister's a runner. You know, it's like very much in our family. And I, I used to do it with my husband too. We get up and run five miles a day. And I don't know who those people are. And I also don't re- remember how I did that. It was because I was like 22. That's how. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I went through that. And when I got pregnant with my, my first, my son, I uh, tried to walk on the treadmill a couple times a week um, in our apartment building. And I didn't realize it, but I was having active contractions, right? Yes. And I just thought, oh, it's Braxton Hicks, right? And I had been walking on the treadmill and kind of, then I went back to our apartment and I was playing with my husband. You know, we were kind of like dancing around silly um, in in our apartment, just joking. And then something, I felt kind of something was wrong. And I went and I wiped and I had blood and that was the night I was admitted to the hospital. Right. So to me, I would, when I tried to, in, in the years between having my kids and after I would try to engage on the treadmill and I hated it. I hated it. First of all, it felt awful. Like the C-section scar really hurt. Um, I would experience numbness and pain and all those things like the physical pain, but then also I would feel really lightheaded and I was, I would dissociate. Um, and I, I didn't realize until the November, uh, event that we had with you that they may be correlated. Wow. (laughs) Right. Because you shared a similar anecdote by someone. I knew when I got back into exercising, I would need to find something that would bring me joy, you know, something that I could do. And so literally, I think like that week we ordered a Peloton. <laughs> That's what I'm saying is maybe Peloton will give us a plug, but I'm, um, but it's, I know I'm one of those crazy cult people that bought a Peloton, but it has been really life-changing 
Awesome. Because the experience, um, even just the position in which I'm sitting is totally different than running, Mm -hmm. but I get like the feeling of accomplishment and I, you know, I don't love all the way that they talk, but there's a lot of option and freedom in it. I really like that. Right. And then some of these people, they obviously are trauma informed individuals and like, will look at me in the eye and say, say very parjot things like you are not broken. And I'll just be like writing like, ah, I'm not broken. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but there's so many things about it that felt really good. I never thought I'd get back to a place where I'd be like, I want to do that today. Yeah. Like, yes, I'm going to be, I'm going to head into work 30 minutes later than I normally do. Cause I'm going to get on that and do this because mm-hmm. it's fun. Mm-hmm. I never could imagine that. Now, am I very good at it? No, but, <laughs> but it is, it's like what you said, it was finding something that I could do. And I started super small, five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time working up. Yeah. And that has been really earth changing, earth changing. The earth is changing. Totally. <laughs> earth shattering. Life earth changing. Shattering. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my shameless plug for Peloton, but it's, um, it was, I think it really articulates exactly what you said too. And, um, I don't know too, Ashley, I don't know if you shared, cause Ashley was like, uh, you were, uh, you were an athlete in high school. Yeah. 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 I did a lot of like bodybuilding, like weightlifting type stuff. And, um, we had been about, I was about two years out. Silas had just turned two and I was like, you know, it's about time. It's about time that I started working out. So then I tried to jump on the CrossFit bandwagon and no shame to CrossFit. I have, I know some amazing Nikki moms who do it and like totally kick butt at it. And I have so much respect, but what I found when I did it is I felt like it was really fast and it mm-hmm. felt like you had to kind of like jump down, jump up, jump down, jump up. And and those sporadic m- movements, for some reason, I texted Martha and I'm like, why can I not do these? Like, why am I struggling? Like, these, the, I'm supposed to be fit and like, I'm supposed to like this. But it was the rapid movement and the constant cycles. And as soon as I switched back to weightlifting, I had control of how fast of how much, and it changed everything for me. And I finished a workout and I came home and I started crying and I told Ryan, like, I had control. And I think that's the the thing that we find with trauma and traumatic birth is like, you're so out of control of your body. And so for me, those like very fast movements of like having no control of my body, when I went back to a movement where I got to be in control of the pace, the weight and how long it was like my body finally took a breath and was like thank you <laughs> and so but again I didn't think about that until the November event as well when you correlated the two and I texted Martha and I was like Parsha knows what she's talking about like I already knew it but like she really does <laughs> like while you were talking we were like uh, we were like listening to you like it was it was a really great event and one of our other team members was also a very avid athlete prior to her second pregnancy and when you mentioned that too she was like oh so that's why I haven't been able to go to bar and that's why I haven't been able to move my body and it was like wow so all of that to say Parja your work continues to change our life so thank you I'm so glad (laughs) thank you for listening to my Peloton testimony No, it's, they're both fantastic examples of exactly how this works, right? Like in Martha, in your case, um, we, I do a lot of work on both, both 
posture and movement. I think Martha, in your case, posture was one that was really, really important that when you're in the standing posture of whatever you are on the treadmill, that triggered the body memory, that those cells, the way your hips and your legs and all the ligaments and all the, everything Mm. together, that particular posture was triggered back then to go, remember what happened last time you did this? No, we don't do this. We don't do this, right? And you set, you just change the posture a little bit. It, it, it's significantly changed on a bike, but not so much where you're like upside down or something. It's just right. just enough mm-hmm. that your body goes, oh no, but this one's okay. This yeah. one's safe, right? And mm-hmm. and I was as I was hearing you um, actually talk about your experience, the thing that was coming to mind is we talk about trauma as something that's happening too fast, too mm-hmm. soon for us, for our bodies mm-hmm. to be able to take in. And that experience of your exercise really sounded like that was exactly the same thing that's happening. This yeah. is too fast. It's too intense. It's too much, whatever. Yeah. And when we are able to slow it down and then we're able to find the right posture that works for us, it's incredible yeah. what's possible. Yeah. I, and I like to think of it like we typically go straight on the path and that's what we've done and the path has worked and we're able to get to where we need to go. And after trauma, it's maybe that path's not for us anymore. We can mm-hmm. still get to where we want to go. We just got to find another route. We're just rerouting yeah. ourselves. And it's yeah. a, a, both of your examples were just gave me chills just listening. Like, <laughs> this is it. This is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I love the idea though, it, that of starting with just like isolating one piece and starting with that. It, yeah. Because yeah. I think of how easy would it be um, if it was like, you know, asking Alexa to play w- w- whatever the song is from Trolls or something, you know, <laughs> and dancing with your kid, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, if if that's it for five minutes, it's, I don't know, I, there's, there's a time and there's still times now that I'm like, oh my God, I did that. There was a time where I couldn't do that. Yeah, and, yes. um, yeah. uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm proud of myself. I'm crying because I'm proud of myself. As you should. You should be. (laughs) Yes. You'd be a really cool Peloton instructor. I'm just saying. (laughs) You are not broken. There's nothing wrong with you. (laughs) What feels good? And Justin Bieber is like playing in the background. (laughs) Anyway, I digress. I love it. Well, no. Um, Parja, do you feel good? No, yeah, this feels great. I think okay. um if there's one last thing I can say is is just if there's one thing that you can do, it is to start with what feels easiest. Mm-hmm. And and really know that what you're doing by doing that is just looping back to what you're talking about the heart rate is we don't want to take the foot off the brake and slam on the accelerator. It's I, I imagine it like um, parking a car on a really steep hill. You need both feet working at the same time very gently. And starting with what what feels the easiest, regardless of what that might look like in the bigger context, it doesn't matter because it's it's what it looks like in, within the context of your health and your journey and your, your healing mm-hmm. experience. Um, and so dancing with your kid to trolls is a beautiful way of moving and practicing mm-hmm. that one foot off the brake, one foot on the accelerator and just really finding that nice balance again. Keep it, keep it really easy. You're not, um, you're not flaking out. You're not you know, no longer a type A person, like none of that. We're still type threes, like always will be. Um, we're just doing it in the way that works for, for us. And that's the best that you can do really yeah. for the long term. Yeah. So beautiful. 
Well, Parija, thank you again for being here with us. It's always such an honor to talk with you. And every time that we have the opportunity to learn from you, our minds are always just expanded in the best way. And the work that you do is so important and so validating. And so thank you for the time and the investment that you've put into understanding trauma in the body, because really it's revolutionary for so many of us. So thank you for being here. Thank you so much. (laughs) And to the mamas in our sisterhood who are listening to this episode, we just want to affirm that, first of all, there's nothing wrong with you. You are worthy of love. Oof, no, I'm crying. Okay, I'm good. (laughs) You are worthy of love just as you are. Take it day by day, step by step. You will get there. What your body has endured is significant, but you don't have to try and get that old body back. Start with where you are today, and that's enough. So, Mamas, you are loved. We're so honored to have you here with us, and we'll chat with you guys next week. (laughs) If you love this podcast and would like to hear more amazing stories, please consider becoming a member of the Dear NICU Mama Patreon page. In addition to special merchandise and early access to content, Patreon members support the mission, programs, and services of Dear NICU Mama. You can find the link on the description of this episode. As always, if you'd like to hear more from Dear Nikki Mama, click subscribe. Welcome to the sisterhood.